0: three of us are all entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs know how to listen to their customers. And I think so a lot of our programming just like yours bubbles up from the, from
1: the community.
2: You know, we've had people come in and talk about kind of dismantling the gender stereotypes that exist um, in, in the business world.
1: We're doing a lot of, the, lot of different things, but a lot of the same things building our ecosystem and it's inclusive and we're not having to work at it, it's just who we are. Hello, and welcome to the
3: Founder Shares podcast, brought to you by Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina, that helps founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. So whether you're already an entrepreneur, or want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success, or not such a success, this podcast is for you. It is a beautiful fall day in downtown Durham, and we are coming to you live from the rooftop of the American Underground. Now, I feel like I've been saying it a lot lately, but today we're doing something a little different. We typically interview founders and investors about their entrepreneurial journeys, but today we're going to explore another linchpin of the startup ecosystem, co-working spaces. You can't start a business if you don't have a place to do it. And so I'm very excited to be joined on the rooftop today by Allison Rogers of Blush co work Carl Webb with Provident eighteen ninety eight and Tim Scales with American Underground. Thanks so much for coming out. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. Us. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the co working spaces that you represent. We'll start with you, Allison, just because you're right next to me.
2: <laughs> okay. My name is Allison Rogers, and I own Blush Co Work, uh, which is a space in Cary, North Carolina, and it's a woman focused co working space with on site childcare.
1: Great, Carl. And I'm Carl Webb. I am the co-founder of Provident 1898. We are a shared workspace uh, in downtown Durham. Uh, This is a wonderful place to be in because this is my home. I'm a native of Durham, and and that's a rare uh, thing now in in our region to find locals that actually stay around. Peter Savelle, is my partner, and Provident 1898 is built on the history and the legacy of Black Wall Street.
0: Tim. My name is Tim Scales. I'm director of the American Underground, the rooftop that we're on right now, which is a beautiful space and also is right by the train tracks, so I assume we'll uh, <laughs> edit the train whistle out of the recording at some point. Uh, I have been with the American Underground for four years and was a member before that with my own startup for a couple of years. years. So I've been in and around this community for uh, about six years now. American Underground itself has been in downtown Durham since uh, 2010, Uh, originally very much focused as a tech hub, and now has grown to be much more diverse in its uh, membership types of businesses uh, and uh, larger community.
3: Well, I I think that's a great segue, because you've each touched on it just a little bit, but as you think about the organization you represent, what is your space's reason for being? Like, What is it that kind of sets you apart, or, or what's your focus and mission? Carl, I'll start with you.
1: Well, Provident has been around for a little over, about four and a half years. We started in April of uh, 2019, um, shortly after the big gas explosion that we had downtown Durham. So my timing was absolutely great from a media standpoint. Uh, we had the governor uh, in town to, to cut the ribbon and all of that, but we also had so much press going towards the uh, tragedy of, of the explosion. I have had the fortune of, of being an entrepreneur for four decades and uh, being born and raised in Durham with this history and legacy of entrepreneurship and mutual aid and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I've also been blessed uh, to experience some success. And so I felt so confident that I thought I wanted to give back in a big way So, the big way was to start a co-working space, and we started out with uh, a vision that was ginormous, and uh, reality sat in as we moved along, and we paired things back. But really, at at the core of it for me, it's really about giving back. It it was a, it's it's kind of one of those, moments where you recognize that because of the community, in order for the community to continue to be active and vibrant, you have to sow some seed. And so the, the uh, idea of Provident 1898 for me personally was to give back, but also to elevate the history and the legacy of black entrepreneurship. How about you,
3: Allison?
2: Well, our space is women-focused and we have on-site childcare, but that was really born of the, you know, my, my own personal need. And uh, you know, over the last ten years, when I had a business before and when I was having kids, I was always looking for co-working or childcare that was close to me and convenient, where I didn't have to drive a long way, and you know, just something that was was right there. And then during the pandemic, it really crystallized because I was not able to get anything done during the pandemic with a three-year-old in my lap. And I thought that I couldn't be the only person who was experiencing that. So that's really how Blush was born.
3: Okay. So tell us a little bit about kind of what the space looks like now. And has that changed much over the time or?
2: No, I mean, I think that uh, like the the vision I had for Blush and and what's really like come to be is um, as far as what the space looks like, it's really been consistent, but the, the people, that have been engaging with Blush. I really thought it would be a lot more remote workers coming out of the pandemic, but it has been like, you know, become a really vibrant entrepreneur community as well. So that's been a great surprise.
3: So Tim, how about you? you mentioned that American Underground has has shifted focus a little bit, but tell us how you view the mission of American Underground right now and, and how it's changed.
0: Yeah, so we were founded very specifically to be a center of gravity for tech and tech entrepreneurship in Durham in 2010. And Durham in 2010 was very different than Durham in 2023 in a lot of different ways. You can hear the construction noise in the background that that is testament to that. Uh, And to to a large extent, that mission of drawing tech into downtown has been successful in Durham Uh, with the growth of Google offices and Meta and others within a few blocks of here. Durham shows up on the top 10 lists for tech hubs regularly through the collective effort of everyone that's been involved with the scene. Uh, And so with that, we have started to broaden what it means to be an American underground member and what we provide to the community. And we've also seen some pandemic era shifts in who opts into the community. A lot more remote workers, uh, a lot more creatives, a lot more nonprofits, a lot of folks who uh, are seeking community has always been key. But now community for many is the reason for joining. Uh, and the services and others that we provide are valuable to some, but really it's they want to look for a place where they can make connections, feel a part of something, feel a part of Durham, and grow themselves
3: professionally or their business in whatever way that means to them. I think that's an excellent point, because I I feel like when I look at all of your websites and and, and kind of review some of the materials associated with it, it always talks about community and building a specific community. How do you think about doing that? How are you intentional about kind of building community into your co-working space? Because you know, I can tell you having offices in close proximity alone does not create a community. So how do you go about approaching that?
2: It's so easy in my office because we have so much open space to really bring people together. But then it's also very easy for people to introduce themselves to each other because they're both taking their child into the child care or, you know, both in the kitchen at the same time. So um, in addition to that, I really try to forge those connections between people uh, when we, because everyone in my space seems to do something slightly different and they could all, they're all looking for the other person at some point. So it's really easy. And then obviously through events and things like that, both through member events and then events that are open to the public, we really try to create that community.
1: How about for you, Carl? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, a lot of it for us is a programmed kind of effort, you know, monthly programs that, that we do. But we're in a historic building, the North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance building that is a iconic landmark in downtown Durham, represents a lot for black business and black enterprise throughout the whole country. The building was built in ninth, in the mid 1960s. And it was always a place that was accessible to the general public uh, for a lot of different reasons, auditorium, cafeteria, uh, and it was a tourist destination for a lot of people coming to the area. So when we envisioned Provident and wanting to create this kind of community space, it was an imperative that there was still acts, would be access uh, to the space by the public, uh, which is, has been kind of tricky. Uh, because also you have some security issues with some of the members that you have that you you want to protect and we were also fortunate when we launched that we had an uh, excellent community manager that was really able to uh, engage new members and visitors in a in, in a unique way just with his his energy and that helped us a lot but because so much of this is about uplifting and building upon this this legacy that we talk about of black entrepreneurship, it sort of attracts a certain type of, of uh, user. But what's interesting is that you would think, you know, Durham not really having a racial majority, that uh, in Durham, it would be like a 90% African American, black and brown kind of an experience. And what we found is that uh, a lot of the ideas and messages uh, that are important within entrepreneurship and business that these these black founders back in the day used uh, are effective for everyone and there are lots of people that gravitate to this idea of inclusion and We've benefited from that. So that's really Caused us to have to think more deeply about the audience that we thought we were planning for versus the audience that shows up and and It's great from a community standpoint because the idea was to create places for people to collide, to create places where uh, you felt safe asking dumb questions about issues of race, class, and gender. And uh, this was also during the time that we had a big bathroom flap going on. So we put gender-neutral bathrooms in our, our facility specifically to try to say, hey, look, this is a place for everybody. So programming Uh, member engagement through the staff that we have, and really not putting Provident 1898 out front with our members, but really trying to look at the work that they're doing and elevating that. So, from, from a programming standpoint, much of that experience actually flows through programmatic activities that our members are involved with. That's great. Tim?
0: Yeah, I think the, the, uh, the thing that the three of our spaces do so well that I see in Yale spaces and, and many of the independent and smaller co-working communities across the country uh, is that they, are, they really care about the people as people, the members as people. The members are not uh, customers. They are not defined by their job titles. They are people sharing space. Uh, and it really starts with that, that when you walk into a space like one of these, uh, the hope is that you are welcomed as a person and everything that you are. And so a lot of what we do is built around exploring that edge of a professional community where we are also able to bring our full selves to work and be, uh, be the people and with all the weirdness maybe that we bring to, to that experience. Uh, in this space and it, because it's through those moments where you drop a little bit of the everything is great professional veneer that you actually connect to people. Uh, and that's important for everybody. And I think it's, it's in expressly important for entrepreneurs who are uh, fed this narrative that you have to always give the impression that you are up and to the right. And uh, speaking for myself from when I was a member, the moments that I was able to be like, this is, this is awful right now. Like this is one of the <laughs> hardest days of my life professionally, or like I'm just stuck and I feel like I'm going nowhere. Uh, it's in those moments that you, that you need the community and those moments that the community has the opportunity to step up for you in a way that they can't if they don't know that's there. So bringing that all back, knowing the people, caring about the people at the core uh, is what uh, we build the foundation of community on.
3: Well, and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, but this, this idea that so much has changed in the workforce kind of in the last few years and, and people have pulled back from community and are now seeking out community again in, in kind of different ways. I opened that up to everybody, like, how do you see that reflected in your spaces and the companies that are coming to you? How do you see that in the way that people are choosing either to be a part of your space or those that are choosing not to and they're just working from home?
1: It really is because of two years of the pandemic and, you know, just not being able to engage the program side of what we do is booming. I mean, it does well. We still have a tough time competing against, you know, the kitchen table and the great coffee that you can have at home and the pajamas that you can wear at home. Uh, But what we're finding is that people are interested in, and connecting. So they're coming out at times when they don't have as much work to do, but they want to hang out. Right. And so, uh, the design and the feel of the space has to change to be a lot more casual for that to happen. We also, which is funny, we have a, uh, we have members that community is not a big deal for them. Yeah. As a matter of fact, just leave us alone. Yep. And uh, we don't have a very large uh, tech population, which is interesting, and the the uh, organizations that we do have, they tend to be, you know, into what they're into and engage on a very very limited basis, so that's kind of interesting. Nonprofits, on the other hand, they're they're just you know, it's all about engagement.
2: Right. I would say that. The smoothest transition I have from someone trying out the space to becoming a member is if they had a child during the pandemic (laughs) and they they maybe they have a great home office and maybe they have, you know, a great childcare available at home, but there's just something that's not working about that. But there are all kinds of reasons for people to be there, whether they're, you know, they need to take a meeting and they don't want to have someone like tromp through their whole house up to the third floor to their nice home office, or, you know, they're, they're bringing together people, you know, a team that all work remotely, but they, they want to work together. Or, you know, obviously like they they're just like, I, I can't do any work if I can hear my, my child crying. Right. So there's all different reasons for, for people to, to come out.
0: I'd say there's definitely a, a mental health component to having a co-working membership for a lot of people. I had that conversation very explicitly with someone yesterday who said, my, my membership fee, I think of that as a mental health investment. Uh, and... Uh, because it is very easy uh, if you are an introverted person and you work from home, it is very easy to suddenly find that you have not had much human engagement and sometimes you need more. Or if you're a very extroverted person, you are just not getting what you need during the day and being around a space with other people, uh, even if you're not directly interacting with them, uh, can feel changing to your day and, uh, and open up some uh, new levels of focus and creativity or whatever it is that you're looking for. So I think that's a an element that I had not thought of uh, initially in this role, uh, but now has become increasingly common. I think uh, as folks are settling into the long haul of hybrid work.
3: Yeah, and I think we probably touched on on this a little bit, kind of in all of this conversation. But if you know, if I'm a young founder or I have a startup or I'm an established company, even, what would you say to them? Why why should you come here and work in this co-working space versus working remotely or seeking out traditional lease opportunities? I mean. I don't want to say sell it to me, but like, what 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 is what is the drive?
2: I think for my members, especially the ones who have come as a team and have you know like maybe some private offices, but they're they're able to gather with their team. They really find that they can be more productive as a team. Just in the past year and a half that I've been open, I've seen people really grow from that, and I mean I think that's it's huge because not everyone can be. Really, their best, most productive self in their home office, just kind of siloed. I mean, I know it was it was true for me, certainly, but um, you know, I have at least a dozen stories just like that coming out of my space where people were like, "No, we, we've, we're all together, and now we're growing, and it's made a huge difference to the way we work."
1: And I guess to the um, the financial side of it all, uh, when you look at a lot of the uh, early stage. Uh, businesses that we have within our community, uh, the last thing they wanna spend a lot of money on is space. And uh, I'm also learning that they they value space, but not in the way that I value space as a person that's in real estate development. Uh, I'm thinking that it's the most important thing. It sort of sets the standard about how you're regarded in business. It legitimizes your efforts and all of that stuff is just not that interesting to founders. Uh, early on. It's all about the bottom line, the ease of getting in a, a lease, getting out of a lease, um, just how much of the the burn this space represents to them. And I'm also finding that a lot of times it's really about uh, meeting spaces, conference rooms. It's about phone booths and the networking opportunity and being connected to folks who have money. So it's really, the way that we sell it is this is a low cost way for you to operate, for you to, to uh, assemble your team. But uh, also it gives you the ability to flex up when you need to, when you have additional space. The original vision that we had was starting sort of at the lower level of, of the building. And as uh, uh, organizations grew, we had additional space within the tower that would be more suitable for that growth. The world changed because of the pandemic. Now space is just not, I don't care what industry uh, uh, you're in, it doesn't have the same kind of value in the way that it did.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair that uh, anyone who's a member of the American Underground could work from anywhere and has no specific reason to come into the American Underground for the space side of things. Uh, I think the greatest benefit to a lot of folks, especially the early stage entrepreneurs, is At that point, you're doing so many different things. Your time is your most precious resource. And it's very easy as an entrepreneur to spend time in the wrong places, or spend time trying to solve problems that other people have solved. And being able, within this context, to uh, post on our Slack channel and say, hey, I have a question about setting up my Google Ads account. Like That's something that could take you eight hours of researching and trying to get Google info, or 20 minutes with someone who does this every day and can just set you on the right track from the start or they have a business law question and they're trying to figure out which law firm. They can actually just raise their hand here and we'll say, well, Hutchison was here last week, so why don't you talk to them first? So moments like that that just save you those hours that you could spend Googling or looking at reviews or spinning your wheels or just getting discouraged, you can really short-circuit those Uh, by being a part of a broader network. And you don't have to build that network in a co-working community. You just walk right into it and you become a part of it. Uh, And so the speed and the time uh, is a huge benefit for folks.
3: So i want to ask a question, shifting a little bit here, but what role do you see co-working spaces have in kind of increasing representation in entrepreneurship? I mean, is that a function of of these different spaces? And, and, And talk to that a little bit. I think we'll start with Tim this time.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think I mean that should be a function of any entrepreneur-serving organization, regardless of your business model. I think any entrepreneur-focused organization that is not also uh, heavily considering the diversity of their constituents uh, is on the wrong side of history. So I think that it's key to everything we do. I think there's a few key things that we do. We have our annual Black Founders Exchange, which has been a longstanding uh, partnership with Google for Startups that brings in 10 Black-led startups for a, an intensive week, that's a flagship program uh, that happens once a year. We can't stop at something that happens once a year, so we try to build that into uh, everything we do. And a lot of that means who we bring in as speakers, who we put in the front of the room, who we provide as resources and office hours and workshops. Uh, ensuring that there is representation in the programming allows uh, folks of color or women who walk into the space to see examples of success or, or um, stories of vulnerability from uh, others and see that in the room and feel immediately like this is a space that wants me to be a part of it. I think sometimes we do that really well. Sometimes we have growth in that area um, and it's something that we're continually working on.
1: Carl? Yeah, the the thing that was really important to us is making sure that folks knew that we saw them. We, we believe that representation really matters. You know, as an African-American, uh, business person, whether or not an organization or a restaurant or a space or place really had you in mind when they designed and, and pulled their business together. You know, it starts with the people that you see in the space, obviously, but it starts with the music that you, you hear. It starts with the paintings that you see on the wall. Uh, it starts with the story and the history and the sensitivity around uh, how you connect and engage. And those were things that are and were at the core of the founding of Provident 1898. The original, the name Provident 1898 comes from the original name of North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance. It was North Carolina Mutual and Provident Association. And they were founded in the year of 1898. Uh, that was really significant on a number of levels because that was a very crazy time in North Carolina history. In Wilmington, North Carolina, for instance, we had the first coup d'etat that we had in this country where, you know, black government was overthrown by white extremists. And it was partly due to business. It was a, you know, black publishing company, white publishing company, the Daniels uh, family. And it was some competition going on along with some fusion politics where folks were actually coming together. And that was not Welcome. But in that same year while this destruction is going on in Wilmington, North Carolina, business people, Merrick Moore, Spalding, they're coming together, creating a business. They're innovating, they're they're doing something positive. Well, that becomes the foundation of the story that we wanna tell about how we can, no matter what kind of drama and crisis may be happening around us, but we can come up with better ideas. So when you come into Provident, you see artwork that's representative of the people that make up our community. Uh, And a lot of times these are underrepresented folks. You hear music that you will not hear in Starbucks. And you see people presenting themselves in ways that, you know, in some places they may get arrested. But, you know, the whole idea is making sure that we had the right kind of representation, that we anchored ourselves to the history uh, that we want to tell a company, uh, uh, a story that's over 120 years old and you feel like someone thought about me and wanted me there. But again, what I, we have found, my, my partner, I'm, you know, for those who can't see me, I'm an African-American guy. My partner is white guy. And uh, that synergy that we have, these stories, they work irrespective of, of what your racial or ethnic background is. And that's the cool thing about it, but it's gotta be intentional and it can't be a special program. The George Floyd thing brought a whole lot of attention. It brought a whole lot of allyship that we had, but you know, it's just gotta be a part of your DNA and that's what it is for Providence. How do you think about it, Allison?
2: Well, inclusion is really, it's baked into our space. And I know we, I, I talk a lot about it being a woman focused space, but at the core, our core values are you know, to provide a space free from hate and harassment and to accept everybody. But I, I still get the question a lot, are men allowed? And of course they are. Everyone is allowed you know, regardless of their gender identity or their sexuality or their race or ethnic background. I mean, that's right up on our wall. And it's, it's a, a pledge to uphold those values are, is written into our membership agreement. So that, that's something that's very important to me and therefore very important to Blush.
3: And you talk a little bit about kind of the programming that comes in to kind of support this idea and this mentality of, or, or what your focus is for, for your community. So I want, how do you go about kind of identifying the programming that you want to bring into your community? How do you identify the best way to support your community members through their specific needs that, and, and not be, I guess, reactive, but also just kind of forward thinking with that programming?
2: I've had the, the luck of being able to, you know, I have a diverse membership and they've come to me with some great ideas. And then we've tapped into some other groups um, either th- through, you know, sometimes it's through them renting the space for, for private use. And we've I've been able to, to meet a lot of people and we're still small enough that they just come <laughs> directly to me with their ideas. And so we we have kind of four key different event types. And one of them is really dedicated to being a more of a serious conversation that's prepared around. Um, we had one that was uh, that was all around anti-racist resources. You know, we've had people come in and talk about kind of dismantling the gender stereotypes that exist um, in, in the business world and uh, programming like that. But I've just been able to tap into the, the great network that's been built and to create those programs.
3: Well, Carl, you mentioned something similar that you see a lot of it being community driven and kind of coming up from the bottom.
1: Yeah, we've had some cool stuff that we've been able to do. And a lot of it, again, happens with the members. Uh, uh, Forward Cities is a one one of the members of Providence, and they were successful in, in uh, getting an SBA grant that allowed them to create this E3 Durham initiative. And so it's a hub and spoke model, and they have several other organizations, Knox Street Studios uh, would would be one of them, North Carolina Central, uh, Durham Tech, uh, Provident, and I'm I'm leaving a, a few out. And that gives us an opportunity on a monthly basis to have a program that is set up to meet the needs of entrepreneurs in Durham County providing technical assistance, providing an opportunity for them to network and connect to a uh, capital. Uh, we're also fortunate in that we have NC Idea as one of our anchor uh, tenants in the space. And so the programming that they do around their grant cycles, the information that they provide, a lot of that program programming actually happens out of the space uh, as well. Because of art being art forward, we do this initiative called These artist Talks, uh, Meet the Artists. So that has been a regular uh, part of the the programming that we've uh, done as well. We've had some strategic alliances with 21C Museum Hotel, for for instance. Uh, We've done a joint exhibition with them where half of the show is at Providence and the other half is at 21C. Obviously, the benefit there is that we get exposure to the patrons of 21C, and 21C gets the opportunity to put their brand in front of, in front of our members. Um, so that's been uh, very, very successful. We did a similar project with the uh, Museum of Durham History, where uh, they were focused on uh, Floyd McKissick Sr., who was the founder of Soul City in Warrington, North Carolina. This was a guy who, back in the 60s, was actually building a whole town uh, that was about the black experience, but not just for black people. Civil rights leader, pastor, politician, entrepreneur well, that show was at the Museum of Durham history. Now we have that within our we have that show within our space, and it gives us a chance to talk about black capitalism so we just recently welcomed Lonewell and Bernard worthy and his team, and so when we start talking about issues of of closing the the wealth gap and the financial challenges that minority businesses have, we have some of these trailblazers from the past that we can elevate to understand what they did to get over those barriers. Those are strategic alliances that we have. That's great. Tim?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the three of us are all entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs know how to listen to their customers. And I think so a lot of our programming, just like yours, bubbles up from the from the community, we're have a. Uh, we running a book club right now. Uh, a member, Katie Rudy, came in and said she wanted to read this book, Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, and uh, could she make a book club about it? And we almost always will say yes to whatever a member mm-hmm. brings to us, because why not? Uh, so we brought a few copies of the book, and, and she's been running that, and so that becomes an AU program uh, led by a member and uh, really from the community. We also try to stay a little bit ahead of what people are asking about to try try new things and sort of push the market and uh, the market for programs or whatever in the community. Part of our culture is just I think I mentioned weird earlier. We try to to allow space for the weird and the quirky and the the personal, and um, so a lot of our events are really based around how do we get people in one room engaging in some sort of activity together, which allows them to. Forget their business for a minute and focus on being people. Um, we had a one of our members led an Indian dance performance. Um, we brought in a, a guy named the Chocolate Botanist to do a plant propagation workshop, things where people can like get their get their bodies into it or get their hands dirty or something. And it's easy to be like, well, what how does that benefit you as an entrepreneur? Like what business skills are you learning from propagating a mint plant? But at the same time, that part of, is valuable, that educational component is valuable, and also the connections and the people and the network are valuable. So we try to sort of encompass both sides of that spectrum.
3: Yeah, sometimes it's so much easier to connect with a person over something completely unwork related. The last thing I want to do
0: is like make small talk with a glass of wine. But if I can, I don't know,
1: <laughs> yeah. If you can do it <laughs> over a mint plant, exactly. it's so much better. It's so different. So but wine, wine and food, and, and that's that's a big deal. It is it true, yeah. it is for key. sure, no, no, no doubt.
0: <laughs> I will not discount the benefits of yes. the wine and hors d'oeuvres.
3: So I'm going to ask this question. I'm not going to put any contours around it, but what is your one of your favorite stories coming out of your community? Like the story you think about just makes you smile kind of regardless of where you're at. I'm going to leave it open. You guys can <laughs> jump on it.
0: There's too many. I know.
3: <laughs> There's so many. Uh, when I think about... Uh,
0: stories of, of members within the space. I think about um, Tiny Earth Toys, which is a startup led by Rachel Classy, who's a serial entrepreneur, has been around the startup scene for a while here. Uh, has her, her business model was uh, rentals of sustainable toys. And it started in her bedroom, and she landed in a small office here. And then she grew to a larger office here. And she was trying to build a warehousing facility out of an office-based co-working space. And it just showed the creativity and the scrappiness of entrepreneurs in general. Uh, it showed the adaptability of our community and how we could rally behind an entrepreneur that was building something. Uh, and she has moved on. She has her own warehouse, and that is very much a success story for us as well. We're, we're always sad to see folks go, but if they're going because they have outgrown the need for our space in our community, uh, then that is, uh, it's, a, it's a great moment as well. Um, so watching the growth of that company through the AU community uh, and how she adapted what she was doing and we adapted together, uh, was a fun experience for everybody.
2: My favorite story that's come out of my space is that, uh, I had a, a woman who came in just temporarily. She was in a private office while her home office was being renovated and she had no plans to stay, but, uh, she was a, an engineer and executive. She works for a company on the West coast and, uh but she felt so good in the space and so inspired and creative in the space. These these are her words that um, she decided to start a business. And so she has started a a videography business and makes incredible videos. And um, she did stay and she is working now on like leaving her day job, her very lucrative day job and working towards just continuing with her own business. That's
1: great. So for me, it's truly too many. I mean, because with this being a passion project for me and wanting to give back and to actually sitting there, cost me a ton of money and I'm not making any, but, you know, I, I feel good about myself. <laughs> uh, but, and, and that's really important because I watch video clips and uh, marketing reels and I see our space all over the place and I'm going, man, you know, it's like, is that person a member? <laughs> How is it that the you know the space is beautiful enough, uh, attractive enough that people actually want to use it? It's it's cool when you see families come to just sort of hang out and take a look at the space. That's super gratifying. Uh, there's also there are two things that that was really important and that's elevating and preserving the history and legacy of Black Wall Street, and through work that uh, Fay Hor was is, is is doing through. Uh, Black Wall Street Forward, uh, they have been able to get truest to support their efforts to do Black Wall Street initiatives throughout the entire state. Well, I think it's like six different uh, areas now in the southeast that they're doing it. And they're actually taking the stories of all of these folks in Durham throughout the the, the southeast region of the country. And that happened through the inspiration of what we were doing at Provident and that was super duper gratifying. And then we have another member who used to be the chief financial, I mean, the chief legal officer of North Carolina Mutual. He now runs a, a youth mentor program for high school seniors and um, freshmen in surrounding schools that, you know, you see 15 well-dressed young black men every other weekend walking in and out of the building that the guy who runs this program, the chief legal counsel guy, his great grandfather was one of the founders of the company. Mm. I mean, it's not as good as money, but it's close. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really gratified to, to know that at the end of the day, uh, I'm paying it forward. I'm giving back, and uh, and you know I've not said this publicly, but a lot of the inspiration for even believing that we could do something like this sort of came from American Tobacco. It came from um, you know uh, Michael Goodman and and prior to Michael, his dad's big vision, uh, and then Mike Mike Hill, who was one of the early uh, developers at at American Tobacco, and it's really it sort of set the bar. And what's cool about being on this panel is realizing that we, you know, we're doing a lot of the, a lot of different things, but a lot of the same things, building our ecosystem and it's inclusive and we're not having to work at it. It's just who we are. So See, I should, I,
3: this is the whole podcast should have just been this. You're just like, <laughs> keep telling me good stories. I've been smiling over here the whole time. Let's touch on that a little bit because you're kind of talking about how y'all are working towards, in many respects, the same common goal. How do you think we're doing as a a community in the Triangle here, fostering entrepreneurship? What do you see as some of the challenges kind of for for entrepreneurs who are trying to get started here in the Triangle?
2: I think funding is Mm. a really huge challenge. I mean, I think that there is so much potential and there's a, a great community as far as connecting entrepreneurs to each other, uh, whether like broadly or in, you know, in certain categories um, or interests. I mean, this is me speaking personally too, but access to funding I think has not caught up with all the great potential that we have here.
3: Yeah. I think
0: you're absolutely right. I think the, that's what you'll hear directly from the entrepreneurs um, consistently. I think the growth of the entrepreneurship community here over the past few years, past 10 years has been remarkable. And I think it has still stayed uh, a very close and supportive and non, non-competitive in a good way uh, community, a uh, very supportive network to be a part of. I think those are assets that we have. I think it is growing rapidly and that rapid change uh, is a can be a risky time as well. And so I think there's a lot of players in place, ourselves included and others who are working to maintain that culture of collaboration within the ecosystem, even as the triangle and uh, the surrounding region uh, evolves so quickly i think that uh a lot of the time it does come back to uh high risk uh capital folks that are willing to to invest in the earliest stage companies um there's a few nc idea and a few of the local firms uh vc firms who have been carrying that for a long time and uh, there's room for growth in that area
1: yeah i would agree i i think you know funding is is a challenge but i think also making sure that we, we engage more people. We need to sort of demystify entrepreneurship. And if you don't have a tech-inspired business, you somehow don't see yourself in this market as a part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And you very much are a part of that. So we need to sort of break down some of those barriers. And, you know, there's this, this sense of, of lack at different times, you know, we don't fully appreciate that we have enough of everything in our community. Uh, we just need to figure out a different way to deal with distribution of those resources. Uh, there seems to be a great imbalance between the the haves and the have nots on every level. And so I think part of that is the work that we do collectively around engagement and getting people having giving people the opportunity to talk to one another. Uh, to forge relationships that go beyond just money, money is important, but those relationships and inclusion, I think, is just as important. But you gotta, you gotta believe that there's enough for everyone, as opposed to, you know, I gotta get mine at your expense.
3: Now, are you seeing those success stories that, that people coming out of your community that have a great success? Are they coming back to invest, kind of, in your community, in the companies that come back? Do you see those kind of return players?
2: I don't think my, my community is old enough to really have that story yet, right. but um, here's hoping.
0: I think within the tech community, we've seen some really strong examples of that. I think uh, the folks in the tech world will be familiar with the, the Tweener Fund and the Tweener List and Scott Wingo's work in that area of rallying uh, these the growth stage entrepreneurs and those who've exited to, to invest back into the ecosystem. I think, Carl, you were spot on that there's many people in the triangle who are entrepreneurs who do not consider themselves part of that. Startup ecosystem, the tech ecosystem, uh, and so I think within that world there are some some great examples. I think we haven't had a lot of you call them exits in the startup world, where folks uh, sell for millions or billions and have those resources then to put back into the the community. I think Bill Sproul is a recent example of someone who has. Uh, and whose, whose company exit made something like 25 millionaires in the region who have been putting capital back into the early stage um, entrepreneurship ecosystem. So I think there there is that story, but that that uh, positive feedback loop takes years or decades to grow. And so we're still building that.
3: So it's a story yet to
0: come. It's coming. Exactly. Yep.
1: Yeah. But I do think that you see where it may not always be money, uh, you see a lot of uh, human capital and resources that are being brought to bear. Uh, we also have uh, Resilient Ventures, which is a small fund, uh, and they are doing uh, tremendous work and specifically targeting some of these same groups that are important to us. Uh, Bill Spruor has been uh, in the space quite a bit as well, looking for ways to be supportive. The Rural Center uh, through their NC Invest initiative, they've been uh, involved. And what I'm also realizing is that there's a category of businesses that are business that is really too small to take advantage of some of the resources that exist. So I think, again, there's a need to try to convince the funder to convince some of these smaller organizations to uh, to come together so that they can um, receive the kind of investment that it really allows them to scale.
3: Well, we're coming up on our time here. And you know we are the Founders Shares podcast. And, and you all are founders. And so I always like to ask our guests, if you could share one piece of advice with someone who's thinking about starting a company or who's in the middle of of, of that experience, what would that piece of advice be?
0: I would say, uh, I think, so you frame that as uh, people who are thinking about starting a business, one, one category. I think it's very easy to get stuck in the step of thinking about it uh, and being in your own head and maybe doing your own Google research and maybe mapping out a business plan in a vacuum and you can go for years with never testing that idea and so or you can feel like if i say yes to this i have to sink money and time and resources and i have to make it a a a big success right away i think i would uh i just say take that first step start talking about your idea start talking to people that care about you but also people that don't know you and people who will give you real feedback and who Uh, will not uh, just tell you that they love it, but will also help you understand if what you have is viable. Uh, And you can't get that feedback if you're just thinking.
1: I think entrepreneurship at times can be overrated. It it is just not as financially lucrative at times as the, the images that you see through, especially social media and your friends. We get in this performative kind of a mode where we, we talk it up and we go home and we, we, we eat saltines and, you know, and we try to explain to our significant other that, hey, just hold on. This is going to be, you know, this is going to work. I think that you need to understand yourself and whether or not you can really fight against all of the pressures to tell you to quit and if you have skills that make it easy for you to get a job then sometimes that becomes a crutch you don't feel like you absolutely have to make this work or you're not going to eat i'll just go get a job personally I, i tend not to do well with those type of entrepreneurs because for me it's, you know, sink or swim, you know, and, and uh, the other thing that I would say at this stage of the game after, you know, 40 years in is really plan for the future. And you're going to probably have seasons that are going to be drier and not as exciting and prosperous and tons of money than what you actually realize. So stash away as much as you can. Keep as much dry powder as you can because you're going to need it one day.
3: That's to you, Allison.
2: I would say seek out the people that could can work with you, collaborate with you, help you, give you advice, and kind of make your way to your minimum viable product, rather than kind of going both feet in. And sometimes that a great way to do that is at a co-working space. That's my little plug. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would say you know just you know talk to people about it. Kind of like what Tim said, like. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk to people about it. Talk to people who are going to doubt it. Talk to people who are going to poke holes in it. And, you know, really develop that before you just full on take the plunge.
3: Appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for the wisdom and advice. Thank you all for coming out tonight um, and for participating here. And just encourage everybody who's in need of community, looking to start a business, and wants to get around like-minded people. We've got some great opportunities and great resources here. So thank you all for coming out tonight. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Founder Shares podcast. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, be sure to check out our team at Hutchlaw.com. That's Hutchlaw.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and thanks for listening to the Founder Shares podcast.